The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 213 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is tools for family caregivers for assessing care needs of their family members. See, the background is that governments and healthcare systems are encouraging caring at home for persons who are aging or who are living with serious health conditions for which there are no medical cures. Uh, a previous episode, not too long ago, of this show identified a tool for family caregivers concerned about the driving abilities of their aging family members. And this uh, driving abilities tool, assessment tool, seems to mark an early step in the development of a kit of tools with considerable potential for helping family caregivers. And there seems to be many, many other needs for tools for family caregivers, which is why our topic, Tools for Family Caregivers for Assessing Care Needs of Their Family Members, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Amy McFarlane. Amy is founder and CEO of Recreational Respite, which provides for creative living and innovative care. It assists individuals with special needs arising from cognitive impairment, physical challenges, or developmental disabilities by recognizing, engaging, and strengthening their residual abilities and interests and integrating them successfully into their communities and by providing them with the services of a multi-skilled teams. She took on the dedication and commitment to creating recreational respite after she recognized the need in the community for supportive and inclusive environments for people with mental and physical challenges and developmental diversities. Her passion in the field of healthcare is united with a hands-on, educated and expert background in personal support work, healthcare business development, therapeutic recreation, health sciences and gerontology, and she's an active support of our show, Family Caregivers Unite. So welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. Now, please tell us more about your personal story, Amy. Sure. So long before Recreational Respite had been created, I was very much a young advocate, mostly for the older adult population, being very close to my grandparents. I was always wanting to know what they were doing, who they were speaking to, if they had friends, if they were hanging out on a regular basis, and what they were doing to keeping busy. 
So at a very young age, I was very interested in making sure that my grandparents were involved in their communities on a multitude of levels, even when I started to see some of their health decline, primarily in my grandfather, who died very young with cancer. Um, and I watched the family sort of cope with all of the changes that went along with that. And, uh, and our world changed very, dr- very drastically at that point. Uh, also, at a very young age, that gave me, gave me some insight into being a care provider and what some of the challenges were that my family faced in terms of navigating a very complex medical system, which is even more complex these days. And I always joke around that at the time when I needed to make a phone call to the CCAC, I thought it was a nightclub because I was that young and I had no idea uh, what on earth it offered in terms of support for my loved ones. Uh, So I can only imagine these days, and I continue to see it ongoing, the family caregivers that are working with their loved ones in terms of trying to make sure they've got the right tools for caregiving. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in to the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is Tools for Family Caregivers for Assessing Care Needs of Their Family Members. Now, Amy, I'd just like to ask you, in the work you do, 
um, with um, recreational respite. What needs for tools do you see among family caregivers whom you serve? So in a large portion of the role that we play in these families in terms of helping and supporting and offering services, there's a great deal of need for empowerment and advocacy. That's probably the biggest um, that's probably the biggest thing that they need and can benefit from. However, it's always the how. How do we advocate? You know, what tools do we need to feel empowered and make these kinds of decisions? Most of the time, the greater challenge is how to navigate through the system, you know, how to find the right resources, how to find the right knowledge, know the right lingo, when to advocate for yourself, when not to. And I think people are... Um, significantly intimidated by the number of people that get involved in their loved one's care. And so they fear that they're not asking the right questions or they're asking too many questions. So those kinds of tools are really important um, for family caregivers to have, you know, what they should be doing, who they should talk to, and, and what they should be asking. Now, that sounds like a tool that they need is a kind of healthcare system compass so that they can read it and follow it uh, for all the things they need. But let me ask you a, a more sensible question than, than that statement, and that is this. What types of tools do you think would be most useful to help family caregivers at this particular time in the, the evolution of healthcare? Well, I think sometimes we have to go back right to the basics. We get so overwhelmed as family caregivers that we don't know where to start. And we're constantly in that, you know, rat race, if, of you will, if you will, of where do I start? You know, I know that mom and dad are aging, for example, and I know that their house isn't always the way that it used to look any longer, and their, their groceries aren't in their fridge any longer, and they're not getting out, and they're not as mobile. So we almost have to take... 10 steps back and say, okay, let's try this again. Perhaps there's some kind of journal that we can keep, you know, as a tool. Let's keep it in their home. So every time I go to visit with mom and dad, for example, I'm going to write in there what some of my observations were so that I can start to develop what some of those needs are. Because I think it becomes just so overwhelming with trying to figure out everything all at once that you know, we kind of throw our hands up and say, okay, I just don't know. I don't even know what they need anymore. You know, um, simple things like a journal that keeps tra track of emergency contact information, keeping a list on the fridge in case anything's to happen, um, keeping in contact with some of the neighbors or friends that, that parents, for example, in this case, uh, used to talk to and connect with, meal planning, their medical, their medicine charts, you know, are they still taking their medications? Are they still preparing meals for themselves? Kind of a self-needs assessment, really, um, but in the form of a journal. Uh, I think it, it's helpful ongoing, definitely, because it's going to change. And so it's better to know what those changes are going to be and look like than trying to get it all in a crisis mode situation, I like to call it. Now, there are lots of services, Amy, offered to family caregivers, to people in their homes. Um, and sometimes questions arise about how useful a particular service services in the particular circumstances of our family, uh, my family members, or even me. So what types of tools do you think would be helpful to family caregivers so they can assess the usefulness of services that are available for their family members? 
Well, I think the first step in being able to document what some of the changes are first is definitely going to help you figure out what it is that you need to address. So, for example, keeping a journal in the journal maybe states that their activities of daily living have changed drastically. You know, they're not bathing or they're not able to get themselves dressed or their mobility is changing. That's going to help you determine what services you may want to look into putting into place. Because I often, quite frankly, will have families that say, well, we've got someone that comes to visit with my parents and they're, and they're wonderful, but there's this, this, and this that still needs to be done. You know, so making sure you've got the right support in place, um, that journal or logbook is going to be very helpful in helping to assess the immediate needs. Do they need someone in there to provide care, uh, you know, bathing and dressing? Do they need someone for just housekeeping, you know, cleaning needs? Um, is it emotional needs that need to be addressed? Are they becoming further isolated or disengaged from their community? Are they becoming more depressed? That's going to help us determine the kind of support they need. You know, sometimes there's people that just need a cleaning lady to go in once a week because the cleaning is becoming overwhelming. And then there are other families where they say, geez, you know, mom's not able to prepare a meal for herself any longer and, and dad's not able to either. So we kind of need someone to go in there who can do a number of things. Um, so that's going to really give you a good picture of the kinds of, of support that you need to put in place first, right, which will then help you determine what services are available out there in the community when you know what you're looking for, right? That's often the challenge. You don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> right. Now, as you know very well, and your service, I think, is based on the, the following thing, which is that... Family caregivers get exhausted um, psychologically, physically, and sometimes financially by the work, the burden, the responsibility of family caregiving. So what types of tools do you think would help family caregivers to assess the usefulness of services to help them, services that are available to help them, the family caregivers themselves? Mm -hmm. So, you know, make a list. If you're a caregiver for a loved one, make a list. What is it that you start to see that are changing? You know, is it meal planning? Is it housekeeping, cleaning? Is it activities of daily living, meaning the basics of getting up in the morning, getting dressed, brushing teeth, personal hygiene kind of issues and concerns? Um, and then go into it a little deeper. You know, is it because transportation is now an issue where there's no means of getting in the car and driving to, you know, the local senior center or group program that they used to be a part of? Um, I think that simple sort of, here's five steps for you, your self-needs, transportation, cleanliness, activities of daily living, and overall social interactions. If you can kind of use those five main pointers, I think that helps you then branch into what kind of support you need and what's available to you. Just so repeat have those five again for me, please. So, so your transportation needs. Your cleanliness, overall cleanliness of the home, for example, housekeeping, activities of daily living, your overall social interactions, you know, is your loved one still connecting to the community or are they not no longer and becoming more recluse? And also just in general, those emotional well-being, you know, do you see some changes in your loved one that are emotionally 
um, evident? Are they becoming further depressed? Are they crying a lot? Um, do they feel like they're imposing on everybody around them? Those, those key points are really important to start to be able to identify where you can help and who you need to call. Let me ask you, you mentioned depression. Mm. Um, that's something that's a great worry because it, it is hard to assess in any circumstances. But very often, and I think this is, this is the case very often, that family caregivers are really the ones who are the first to notice that a family member is getting depressed. Now, certainly the diagnosis is a medical matter, but recognizing that something isn't right isn't confined to doctors. So please say more about the idea of a tool for family caregivers to see, find out whether in a family member their sadness is in fact spilling over, so to speak, into things, worrying things like depression. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And you know, the sad part about this too is that often it's masked by other diagnosis. So the, the problem that I see in the community is the family member is so concentrated on the, let's use Alzheimer's, for example, or dementia, that they're not necessarily seeing the depression, which is not the same thing as Alzheimer's or the dementia. Certainly there's some correlation, but it's different. So I think that as family caregivers, they're so we're so overwhelmed with the number of things that we're concerned about that we overlook things like the depression being related to the lack of social interaction, the loss of of uh, purpose and worth and um, need in the community. You know, when you look at someone who was so active in the community before. Um, and all of a sudden becomes very disengaged, and they say, well, I don't need to do that anymore. I'm getting too old for it. You know, just like that, chances are there's something else that's going on. Maybe it's mobility challenges. You know, they're having a hard time getting around, or the transportation factor, not being able to drive wherever they need to be any longer. Um, It's those changes on a bigger scale that that determine and... um, certainly connect with things like the depression. So again, when you do these self-needs assessment and you come up with these sort of five key points and those, again, being, you know, the overall housekeeping, activities of daily living, social interactions, transportation, uh, and emotional well-being, this will help you determine where things are starting to change and then you can address them from there. So still talking about this challenge of people's, can I call it psychological condition, this, their sense of where they're up to in their lives, um, that becomes very important because it isn't only the family member. Um, it may be the family as well in the sense that nobody can really figure out in the family what's, what's actually going wrong. And therefore tensions rise concerns grow and maybe even the stresses get to the point where the family starts to get in difficulties or even break up. Now, Mm -hmm. any ideas of how a tool might help in that hopefully rare but nevertheless real situation for families? Definitely. And here's the key word. It's communication. 
The problem that we see often is the breakdown in communication because everybody's burnt out and up to their eyeballs in tasks to do in addition to their own lives. So when they become extremely overwhelmed, things start to break down. People stop talking about it because they don't want to talk about it. They're sick of talking about it. And so, for example, sister and brother no longer communicate with the challenges or the successes of what's going on in the home. Um, and I see this a lot too. The family dynamics start to change drastically. You know, the sister goes and spends more time with mom and dad and the brother doesn't any longer because he just doesn't know what to do or vice versa. So a solution to this, again, is keeping something like a journal that stays in the home so that every time someone comes in or out, they make some observations. They document how the visit was. I noticed that my mom or dad was a little bit more forgetful than normal. I'm not sure why this is. You know, one of the biggest, scariest things that we see being in the community, too, is dehydration. Dehydration is such a crucial issue right now. And nobody seems to, to recognize it when it's happening. And the reason why I bring it up is something as simple as my mom had a really bad day today and for whatever reason she couldn't remember a thing. And I, I'll ask sometimes, when was the last time she had a glass of water or ate a proper nutritious meal, right? And they say, well, I don't know. I really don't know what the last thing was she ate. Or they'll say, well, I know she told me she had soup yesterday. Well, what did she have for dinner? Well, I don't think she had anything for dinner. So. A journal is just a really helpful tool that these kinds of things can be documented or conversations that are had, you know, with technology these days, you can document the stuff in an email and send right. it to your brother and say, talking to dad today, he was concerned or he didn't seem quite right. When you go see him tomorrow, let me know how it goes. That communication now, is crucial. Amy, we've reached the point where we have to take the break and pay the rent. Mm. So let's do mm -hmm. that now, and we're going to come back to these, these very, very important points. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Amy McFarlane. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. Boxing, like networking, is a contact sport. The more contacts and connections you make, the greater your success. If you're a business owner, sales agent, or job seeker, it's all about the connection. If you want help in your corner, pick up a copy of Knockout Networking today by speaker and author Michael Goldberg. Michael's book will absolutely help you generate more prospects, more referrals, and more business, or more job leads, or even more social connections. Knockout Networking will help you feel 
feel more confident speaking with people you don't know. Determine who your target market is. The best way to introduce yourself at business meetings. How to deliver an elevator pitch. Follow up. And how to generate more leads. Social media isn't always the answer. But Knockout Networking is. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com to pick up your copy of Michael Goldberg's book, Knockout Networking. Remember, nothing happens in business without a connection. So make the right connections. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com today. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is Tools for Family Caregivers, for assessing care needs of their family members. Now, I want, Amy, to talk about the development of tools for family caregivers. First question, who should develop the tools for family caregivers? Mm, I love this. Family caregivers themselves, because let's face it, they really are the professionals in this. They work with their loved ones 24 hours a day, and they're experiencing it firsthand. But realistically, family caregivers are burnt out and don't know where to start and they need that kind of advocacy. So, along with other professional supportive bodies, I think those are the key people that should be developing caregiving tools. Um, you know, maybe it's the Alzheimer's Society, maybe it's the um, uh, MS Society, whoever it is that pertains to the kind of support that you're looking for. You know, take your questions and concerns to them and say, what can we do? What is a better working tool for me to best care for my loved one who's affected by such and such? Um, that's, that's who should be creating tools. Very interesting comment because a lot of money, as you know, in healthcare goes into research and research is obviously very important. But at the same time, Support for family caregivers is important and producing the kind of information, the guideline that you've just been talking about is also important and needs, in my view, rather more emphasis than it's currently receiving. Would you agree with that? Mm, absolutely. Yep, definitely. Okay. There needs, to be, there needs to be more support that's offered in the now. The research is crucial and critical, absolutely. But in the meantime, these family care providers need solutions and answers and support now that's going to help them cope with their everyday life. Um, yeah, so I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Now, given that we've got a tool that's been developed of some kind, um, how can a family caregiver be assured that the particular tool is going to do something or produce some information which is trustworthy, which is understandable, and which is likely to be useful. In other words, it's a kind of quality control for things like family caregivers and family caregiver guidelines. What do you think? How should that be done? I, I really can't stress enough that there has got to be more 
peer-to-peer engagement, you know, get connected with other friends who are experiencing something similar. The, the wonderful thing about technology these days is there's these mini communities that are created because it links people together with very similar challenges. Get as connected into that as possible and really rely on what's working for them, what's not working for them. Um, Connect with past or previous social groups that your loved one was a part of and all of a sudden is no longer. You know, what started to happen there? Why did things start to break down? Or it just, if nothing else, helps you identify some of the things that your loved one really did like to do while they were in the social setting in the community. And you can duplicate that in the home through services. Um, Yeah, there's such a population of baby boomers, you know, obviously, and and so many people are experiencing these same challenges, but yet there's very few of them that are talking to each other about what's working and what's not working in the grand scheme. So I can't stress that enough in terms of getting trustworthy and understandable information that's useful to help, to help go through um, that peer-to-peer support. For sure. When you talk about peer-to-peer support, are you also talking about support groups where obviously family caregivers and sometimes their family members are grouped together because they're all facing the same problem, whether it's a particular illness or a particularly disability or something of that nature? Would you also include that as a focal point where these tools could be developed? Absolutely. We could definitely include support groups for this particular purpose. However, we also know that there's a great deal of people that cannot or do not wish to participate in support groups. Many times it's for fear um, or lack of time and ability to attend. But, But even the simplest of just talking and opening up to your own, as a caregiver, your own social connections is so crucial for your own well-being. Being able to communicate with your friends and say, this is what I'm experiencing and I'm just not sure what to do. You know, if it's not in your interest to connect with uh, organizations um, uh, for fear of being judged. You know, people naturally have this fear that if other people know my business, They're going to think differently of me. Um, Employers may think differently of me. My children may think differently of me. There's a whole group of denial that goes along with the caregiving role, too. So being cognizant and supportive to that is really crucial. So it's got to be about opening up and speaking to people. It's got to be about communicating to your friends and other family members that may be able to help you. Right. Now, as you know... Um, doctors and nurses particularly rely more and more on things called clinical practice guidelines. Mm -hmm. What they do is say to a doctor or a nurse, um, experts have looked at the way in which um, the treatment is going to be best for this particular condition in this particular circumstances. So here's what's recommended as the best practice. Now, what would you think of the idea of there being family caregiver guidelines derived in the same way. That is, here's what people who've thought about it, know about it, think is the best approach to particular challenges in particular circumstances. What sort of value would you place on those? I think a universal caregiving guide would be most helpful. You know, um, 
on the grand scheme of things, if for no other reason but people speak the same language. I think that's the hardest part. You know, you and I refer to caregivers as those that are caring for loved ones, and other people um, believe that that means someone coming in from an agency, for example. So at the end of the day, a, a kind of universal caregiving guide would offer that consistent language that would make sense to people. And it would give them a step-by-step process of, you know, when to connect with the CCAC, when to connect with private services, when to connect with not-for-profit services, how they work together, how they don't work together, what the challenges may be. So. Yeah, it, that kind of guide would be most helpful. However, I'd like to see more innovation happen throughout the community. I live in a smaller community now, and I tell you, the community efforts that support the residents that live within are unbelievable. And I think sometimes those are also just as beneficial um, for the support of caregivers and or people that are suffering and, and going through this journey. I think that, you know, if they can come together to identify with the use of a universal caregiving guide, more specifically what their community residents' needs are, is it accessibility, is it services, is it supports, is it resources, I think this could also be an effective tool. Um, more people need to be able to open up and be empowered to open it up, open up and talk with other community agencies so that they can maximize the support that they're getting you know, so that they can stay in their homes and they can stay where they love to be. Um, so those kinds of tools would be extremely useful to see happen at a community level, too. Once everybody, of course, understands the universal caregiving guide, the lingo, the language, the characteristics of the medical system, and that kind of thing. Right. Now, I'm going to do a little bit deeper into this. The idea of a sort of universal caregiver guideline, I think, is very appealing. I think it's important, and I think that if it covered all of the things in the way that you've been describing, uh, it would be extraordinarily helpful. Now I want to explore with you just briefly the idea of guidelines that are more specifically focused um, on some of the more difficult questions. And we've already talked about depression and things like that. So let's stay with that for the moment. Um, supposing that a family member is showing signs of not wanting to take their medications and yet the illness is serious that does require the medications, would you see any value in a family caregiver guideline that helped them on matters of that nature, that gave them advice of a kind that they would get from a physician but not to replace the physician, but rather to help them understand what is likely to be recommended and how to go about it. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I think the more resources and tools that we can offer, the better. And I think that that it's certainly going to be helpful. Definitely not a hindrance. I mean, I think that more people are looking for that. They're looking for just anywhere. Give me a starting point. Give me something to work off of. You know, in my capacity in recreational respite, I do a lot of caring for carers workshops and series. And the series really talk about more about how to navigate through the system, how to be empowered with the right tools. And so I often find that those are, the, those are the moments where you think, if all of this stuff was documented, how greatly beneficial this would be. You know, everybody could kind of go to the guide and say, okay, have I a checklist almost? 
you know, have we have we done this? Have we done our self needs assessment? Have we, what are we discovering about our situation, and how do we address it? When do I ask the doctor of of this, and or do I need a doctor involved? You know, do I need somebody else to help me? I yeah, I think there's just such a complexity out there of services that exist. Um, what better opportunity to make it universal uh, in one simple language guide for everyone to use? And benefit from. I very much like the idea of a checklist um, written in terms that people can genuinely understand that are genuinely going to be useful in the sense of here, here's the next step that you might want to consider, that kind of thing. And I also think that this is going to be enormously helpful to the healthcare system too because what it will encourage, I think, if it's done in the right way, and this is my view, it will encourage better communications among family caregivers and healthcare systems Mm -hmm. in such a way that it cuts down the pressures but at the same time improves the help and care. And going back to the thing I said at the outset, outset, it's very much a matter of ensuring that the government healthcare policies requiring people to live at home, age at home, um, work out well and don't develop into some kind of crisis uh, of care where family caregivers are stressed, no longer able to cope, and everybody, including the family caregivers, finds themselves back in the hospital system again. Now, I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. that's, that's a, a pretty real risk. Now, mm-hmm. it, unfortunately, we've come to the time when we have to take the break again, so let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Amy McFarlane, and you're listening to uh, Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channel and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life, supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit, you'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Do you ever feel stuck on a hamster wheel? Constantly running, but getting nowhere? Ready to try something different? The secret is actually quite simple. When you fall in love with yourself, everything else falls into place, personally and professionally. Each week, you can find out how to choose your energy and change your life with your host, Deborah Jane Wells. It's time to get unstuck. Reclaim your personal power and recapture your zest for living. Tune in to Choose Your Energy, Change Your Life. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Amy McFarlane. Our topic is Tools for Family Caregivers for Assessing Care Needs of their family members. As I said at the outset, and we've mentioned once or twice, governments and healthcare systems are encouraging caring at home for persons who are aging or who are living with serious health conditions for which there are no medical cures. So let's now, Amy, talk about more things that you want to do and see done to help families caring for family members with such conditions. And so my first question is, what more do you want to do and what more do you want to see done to provide tools that are truly helpful for family caregivers caring for family members who are being cared for at home? I'd love to see more training of knowledge, um, you know, such as being able to provide some of the techniques that are successful. For example, some of the things that we do in the community, transferring that on to other professionals that are involved in the care plans of the individuals that we're supporting in the community. And not just what we're, who we're supporting, but more, more collaboration of systems to really maximize the staff that are in place with the knowledge that they need. You know, and I'm not suggesting that we have people doing the rules of a nurse or nurses doing what doctors do or any of that. I just mean in terms of sharing information. I'll give you a small example. Recreational Respite got involved with hospice in the Peel region uh, a number of years ago. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to have a binder of effective therapeutic recreation programs so that the in-home volunteer visitors of the hospice that were seeing their clients on a regular basis would have additional tools all the time so that if they went in to see a client who they typically just did not know what to do with any longer because the individual was at a later stage, um, in a palliative stage, whatever the situation was, that they were always equipped with something in their back pocket. You know, they always had something on the go that they could rely on and, and use in caring for their clients. That's maximizing support and maximizing their time, and I'd love to see more of that. Um, you know, just more professionals coming together as opposed to being so distinctly different. Um, the model still exists out there that, you know, that's not my job. I don't do that. I do this and you do that. And and that is really challenging in a home environment um, because all kinds of things break down on that level. So more knowledge exchange, um, more collaborative approaches, more and and with other agencies, agencies getting together to maximize funding dollars. Um, a perfect example of that is recreational respite is funded, uh, a partnered in a number of partnerships in the community to bring our style of therapeutic recreation to their clients, 
because they're not doing that in some of their programs, but they have funding dollars to make it happen. So instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, they've collectively said, we need you guys and your expertise. Come and not only run your program, but teach our staff what some of the successes are that come out of that. And that's what makes us equally successful. And everybody wins. The staff has more tools. The individual gets more support. So I'd like to see more of that. And I'm very passionate about that. Now, I want you to consider a situation which you will have heard about many times, and so have I, and that is that the assumption is that once a family member has been taken into some kind of care facility, then basically the family caregiver, um, the job is relaxed, um, there's not as much burden, that's the theory on the family mm. caregiver. What we often hear, and I'd like you to say whether you hear it too, is in fact that's not the case. There's just as much for the family caregivers to do when the family member is in some kind of care situation. And if you agree with that, um, what are the kinds of ways in which tools could help family caregivers who find that they're still providing care, but not now to a family member living at home, but to a family le- care, family member living in a care facility. What do you think? Mm-hmm. We need to truly better arm our caregivers, family members, loved ones, with the right kind of advocacy tools when their loved one lives in a long-term care facility or other kind of community environment. And here's why. Many times I will go in, just recently I went in to see a client of ours who lives in long-term care, And his sister stood in the hall and said, I'm so frustrated. And I said, what's the matter? What's going on? And she said, when you go into my brother's room, note that on the wall, there's a sign that says he's a two-person transfer. That same sign has been up for eight months since he's moved here. And he can transfer on his own. And I don't understand why he still needs a two-person transfer. This is an eight-month-old question that the sister has never received a response to. My point in this situation is arming them with the right questions and advocacy for their loved ones is equally important, if not more so, when they're in a facility environment than when they're in their own home. They have very little control over what's happening, the changes that are taking place, and they need to be better equipped with what to ask. So she was terrified to ask the nurses, why is my brother still a two-person transfer? But to to the facilities defense, the reason being, after further investigation on my part, was because the client failed from, he suffered from seizures still continuously. And so their fear was that if he was to transfer independently, he may have a seizure and that would cause him, you know, a a fall, which understandably is most concerning. However, the family member didn't know that. So it's it's about arming that family member with communication tools to know when to ask questions, get updates, get involved, advocate for them. You know, it's the simplest of things. When did my brother last attend a program? When did he last go to exercise? He loves exercise classes. Did he like it? Did he hate it? Did he sleep the whole time? These kinds of questions are really important. And you're right, Gordon. Lots of times family members will say, I'm more stressed out now that my loved one's in a facility than I ever was when they were at home because I have no control. 
right? We, we work off of a crisis mode uh, system, if you will. And then when we gain control, we lose it again very quickly and we don't know how to get it back because now you don't know what's going on as much as you did when they were at home. So it's really about arming them with appropriate empowerment and advocacy tools for when their loved one is in a, in, in a facility. You know, caregivers will, are always giving in, sort of. You know, that's what I hear a lot. Well, I just give in because they know what they're doing, so I don't bother. I know that he's getting everything he needs. And then they'll call in tears saying, you know, my brother is not participating in anything and he's just becoming more isolated. So this stuff leads to extended concerns, and that's why it's really important that they know what they're looking for right. when they're going to, to visit on a regular basis as well. Now, I want to ask you a question that relates to this situation that you've been talking about, which is where the family member is in some kind of care facility, and the family caregiver um, is visiting, um, but not particularly close to them. What we're hearing. Um, from time to time in the media are stories of abuse of um, members of family members who are in facilities and something just as worrying and that is when people who are in a, a care facility and are unfortunately well down the road of something like Alzheimer's disease they can be aggressive and aggressive towards the other people who are living in the facility. Now, all, both of those situations are immensely stressful for family caregivers. What more would you like to see done to help them and provide tools for them where they worry about those or have reason to worry about those kinds of situations? What do you think? Well, you know what? A lot of facilities have resident councils or family councils, sorry. Uh, I would always suggest take full advantage of those kinds of environments. It's wonderful to have these families come together and talk about what their general concerns are. So that's one thing. And if you don't know whether or not the facility has a family council, definitely make the call and find out. Um, it's a great opportunity to discuss concerns or successes and challenges that are happening within the facility. You know, it's not always about what's negative about it and, and what's not working. Sometimes, you know, most often actually, it's about what's been great or um, some of the everyday concerns. Uh, taking one day at a time is really challenging, but it's crucial because every day changes and the needs change. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask the question, even if you don't know what the question might be. You know, if you're concerned about it, then there's genuine reason for you to ask a question about it. Um, and remember that you truly are your loved one's biggest advocate. Nobody advocates for them more than you do. Nobody. So uh, as long as you, you go in with that, you know, empowering role that you are in control and that you have the ability to take part, um, I think it sets you up for, you know, success in being able to provide and be the best caregiver that you can be. Right. And often there's a lot of guilt associated, right? Am I doing enough? I'm not being a very good care provider. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. So I think that these are great. Again, that peer-to-peer -peer engagement is so crucial. And talking to friends and families and others that are experiencing the same thing, really important. Right. Now, just a quick question, which goes back to something you said and something I've already asked you, and that is, 
Uh, we talked about family caregiver guidelines, and you mentioned things like checklists. In the sorts of circumstances, family family member in care, things seem not to be going as well as they should do. A family member, family caregiver is worried. Does the checklist, does the family caregiver guideline help in those sort of circumstances, do you think? Absolutely, because again, you know what you're addressing. You know how much of it you you uh, need to address. Like, for example, do you need to dive deeper into transportation needs, or do you need to dive deeper into the care needs, or maybe it's the emotional well-being? You've got all these great people in place to help with the bathing and dressing and transfers and all of that, but who's going in there to make sure that they're being engaged and stimulated appropriately and accordingly, um, based on what their abilities still remain? So, yeah, going back to that checklist is really critical. And for yourself, too, as a care provider, are all of these things being met in my life? That's a whole other episode, yeah. (laughs) Now, that sounded like a message to family caregivers. So please give us a very quick message that you would like to pass to families and family caregivers in the kind of situations all over that we're talking about, caring at home, caring uh, in a facility. Your message. Mm-mm. My message continues to be to empower yourself um, and ensure that you do know what's best for your loved one and don't underestimate that. Uh, I think that's the biggest challenge is that people often feel as if they should leave it in the hands of the medical system. And uh, and that doesn't always work out for the best interest of your loved one. So, um, you know, just be open and uh, and try new things. Don't be afraid to try new things because it can't, can't be, you know, it can't get worse. It can get better. Um, and, yeah, that's probably my message. Yeah. What's coming across from the things we've been talking about, things you've said, Amy, is that more and more family caregivers are part of the care that the healthcare system not just provides but actually depends on. And so, therefore, the recognition of family caregivers and what they do and mm-hmm. how they spare the system, how they enable the system, and how they are going to, in the end, make the healthcare system work better, particularly in these sorts of problems we're talking about, that seems to be very much part of the things that we should now be talking about more and more. Mm-hmm. So, Amy, yeah. I want to say thank you for sharing with us all the things that you have done, your, your, those five things, your insights, your advice. And I want to wish you all success in the work with Retire at Home Services because they really, really are important. Um, they really, are, really, really are important with uh, recreational respite and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Now, from... Our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about untimely support for children with mental health challenges and their family caregivers. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.